everybody and welcome back to Witchfix. Today I am looking at my first or sort of second foray into reading about traditional witchcraft, which previously I had confused in my head with traditional wicca, again because of like the conflation of those two things, but traditional witchcraft is something that I'm quite interested in but haven't done a huge amount of reading about, so I'm trying to get into reading a new type of book which is all about that, uh, and it is quite refreshing actually to read books that aren't just the same information about Wicca repackaged into a new book because there's only so many books you can read about that and I feel like I've read a lot of them so it's nice to like get into a new subject to read new things I think the Cassandra Lathan Jones book that I read ages ago uh, The Village Witch that was kind of traditional witchcraft because what she was practicing was kind of like Cornish wisecraft um, mixed in with maybe some ideas about Wicca. I can't really remember that book but it was sort of that sort of thing and when I was looking around for books to read about traditional witchcraft Gemma Gary was one of the authors that kept coming up and her books were quite phenomenally expensive on eBay. Um, those might be just like first editions and what have you but I came across a copy that was quite reasonable and that is this book the Black Toad, West Country Witchcraft and Magic by Gemma Gary. Now, it was unfortunate that my only frame of reference so far for traditional witchcraft was the Cassandra Latham Jones book because I looked up, as I usually do, the name of the author and the word controversy, which I found is kind of a foolproof way of identifying controversy because that word usually crops up in articles about the author, and found what I can only describe as a Twitter beef but not on Twitter between Cassandra Latham Jones and Gemma Gary, like the author of the book I'm about to look at. And I couldn't really work out what it was about or how long it had been going on because it was basically just blog posts that had referred to the other person's blog posts and then some of those posts I couldn't find because they'd been taken down or the link had changed and it was broken and I couldn't find it. But it does seem that that's more like a personal thing than uh, an actual problem that most people would have with the author so I think I'm pretty okay to review this. It did also seem like most of that was aimed at uh, another book that Gemma Gary had written about like the practice of traditional witchcraft whereas The Black Toad which is the book that I'm looking at today seems to be more of like a historic look at practices and traditions in the West Country basically like folklore and things like that. Now what this most reminded me of was a little book that I had way back when I started practicing uh, when I literally only had like two books uh, and this was one that my mum gave me and it was literally like a sort of tourist pamphlet like made of cardboard that she had presumably bought a long time ago because the price on it was like seven pence and it was like witchcraft in Cornwall and it talked a little bit about hold stones and uh, various like folk cures for different ailments like eating spider's webs to cure asthma and pouring water over different parts of your body from like different springs and stuff like that. And I have no idea where that's gone but this book heavily reminded me of it and seemed to contain quite a lot of the same stuff. So this isn't a very long book it's kind of pushing at the hundred page mark I think it's about 130 something pages but there is quite a lot of interesting information in here and particularly I enjoyed the start of the book like the introduction because the rest of it was sections where each part was like 
this is this cure, this is this enchantment. So for continuous prose, that was mostly at the beginning. And there was also a foreword by Michael Howard, who I have no idea who that is. Uh, but I also found that quite interesting, and I'm going to be talking about that first. So one of the first things set out in the foreword is on page 13, and it says, Although it is not suggested that there is any direct historical and physical continuity between the pre-Christian pagan and magical beliefs of the ancient past and the practices of early modern witches and cunning folk described by Jim and Gary, the folk memory of the old ways can still be detected in what they believed in and did. So it's talking about that thing that is kind of a hot topic but when people start discussing Wicca about whether we believe in this unbroken tradition stretching back and back and back or whether we believe that there is the new way that we do things which is loosely based on the old way and then the old way itself and this seems to fall into that latter camp. It then goes on to just outline some of the beliefs, some of the practices very briefly which is as follows. These traditional ways include the patronage and guardianship of ancient sacred sites used for seasonal rites and magical workings, a belief in the genii loci, the whites and spirits of the land, and the realm of fairy and the underworld, the utilising of elemental forces such as storms, thunder and lightning for magical, and the mystical significance of the natural world and its flora and fauna. The latter includes the recognition of the spiritual power of totemic animals and birds and green magic or wart cunning. So that's basically broadly speaking, some of the subjects that are lightly touched on in this book. There isn't a huge amount of detail in a lot of it. It doesn't really go into continuous practice, more into just um, one-offs, one-off enchantments, one-off cures for things, as we'll see in a moment. From the introduction, um, which is by Gemma Gary, uh, as is the rest of the book from this point, uh, she says on page 18, The traditional craft is, by its very nature, operative and results-orientated, and it is in its successes and its ability to serve that its authenticity resides, and is the very reason for its continued presence. The seeking of assistance and the inclination to learn the ways to give that assistance still survive and evolve in the present day, and will continue to do so a lot longer yet. So basically talking about how it's sort of a grab bag of things that you've tried that work. And if it doesn't work, you don't do it, which is slightly different to the we do it because it's always been done this way, because we've always said so sort of thing that we looked at in The Wiccan Warrior and which the author of that book was kind of calling out. Uh, so it does look like this is very much a kind of almost culinary approach, this sort of adaptation of recipes and changes to form and function, which might be necessary for you to get the results that you want. On page 19, she continues, The ways here explored may be quite unfamiliar or even uncomfortable to some practitioners of modern craft, for whom any notion that cursing and magical retribution may be a possibility of their path has been thoroughly trained out. However, the traditional practitioner accepts all the arts of the spirits and the old ones, but in the hopes that they may never have to use all of them. Even some of those newly come to the contemporary traditional craft, particularly those across the Atlantic Ocean, in my experience, are likely to look awkwardly upon the ceremonial and grimoire-derived practices in their eagerness to distance themselves from the ceremony of their cousins, the Wicca. And then a little further down the page, 
Both are likely also to be ill at ease regarding the presence of Christian magic, but it is an established part of the tradition, and all that is of use is employed, even if the grimoire it is drawn from is named the Holy Bible. Despite a belief in and working relationship with the spirit world, otherworldly forces, and the old packs with the old one, folk magical practitioners are traditionally dual observers and have long professed a faith in Christianity, though not necessarily in its church, and have employed its magic alongside that of their old ways and fairy faith. So there's two kind of interesting points that have been drawn out in that introduction. One, very much stressing the difference between traditional witchcraft, as defined in this book, and the sort of more modern love and light practices. Um, the idea being that it's perfectly acceptable in traditional witch practice to know how to defend yourself and also how to hex and curse people in the hopes that you will never have to use that, but also learning it. And also the inclusion of uh, Christianity and Psalms and things like that which are throughout this book as well which got me thinking kind of because there's been a lot of hoo-haring about Christian witches and their validity in uh, various groups that I've joined which personally I don't really understand because if it's not your path then that's fine don't practice it but if it's someone else's that's also fine but this has come at the same time as me seeing a lot more of like hoodoo, santeria, voodoo and things like that uh, derived practices and a lot of like appropriation of that by uh, formerly people who probably would have gone into like the wicker camp but that also features a lot of like Christianity and, and things like that so it seems weird to me that that would be condemned in like a more Eurocentric practice and then seen as completely fine when you're talking about what to the sort of white teens who occupy most of these forums would be a more exotic practice so that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense uh, but it does make sense to me that with like Christianity reaching Cornwall and other parts of England that that would have also been incorporated with pagan beliefs in, or, in order to either create a new tradition or to just escape notice, um, which is basically a lot of our like customs and things like that boiled down to is like things that were done alongside Christianity. So it's an interesting thought and I kind of wish like, more time had been given to explore that in the book, but uh, it's sort of just touched on here and then not really commented on that much again, uh, aside from the presence of Psalms and things being in the book for magical purposes. Also in the introduction, uh, the idea of black and white magic is briefly touched on. It's also commented on elsewhere in the book, and I find it quite interesting uh, the way that they talk about that, because in the introduction they say that like the traditional West Country practitioner is not like black or white in terms of their magic. And then later on they say that this is because they are both things simultaneously, albeit to different people. So to the person who goes to a witch to have them curse someone who's done them wrong that witch will seem like a white witch because they're doing you a favor but to the person being cursed they'll seem like a black witch so it sort of like depends on which side of things you're on and depends on your viewpoint how you see that particular witch which i thought was quite an interesting idea and not something that we really look at because we're all different things to different people and it seems weird that people would just declare themselves to be oh i'm like a good witch even though ne not necessarily to everybody you're not going to be seen that way so that was quite interesting and I kind of liked that idea. The next section of the book is power and preparation and it basically just talks about 
implements locations and things that would add power to magical working in, in brief outlines so different powerful locations times objects uh, like this uh, shells of snails which i would not seen previously been referred to in books about like magical things they tend to talk about like crystals and herbs and things but not necessarily about just things that you would find out and about like snail shells i have a basket which i have filled up with like feathers and little bits of sheep wool that i found places weird stones and there is something about all of us, I think, as, as people, that we have this kind of crow instinct to see a weird thing and like, oh, that's odd, and therefore must have power associated with it. Like, that's why hold stones are considered special, because you don't find them everywhere. And when you do, it's like, oh, this is a strange thing. Uh, and these are referred to, I think, in different books as like fetish objects, not in a rude way but in a sense that they feel like they have their own inherent power and that really spoke to me that's something that I've kind of felt about a lot of things that I have accrued over the years like a special rock here an owl feather there um a stick that just felt like it wanted to come home with me those kinds of things that I don't really see talked about in books about like wicca or wicca focused witchcraft so uh, that was quite interesting to read about, especially when it started talking about things that I'd never seen discussed in books before. Like, obviously, books talk about hold stones, but they don't talk about beans. <laughs> For example, on page 27, it says beans are associated in West Country tradition with the spirits of the dead and are kept and carried with other substances of cognate association, such as thyme, elder and elm and with written charms. Such a charm bestows upon the practitioner the ability to have at their bidding the powers, blessings and wisdom of the shades of the dead. I do not think this is referring to Heinz beans, which are repugnant, but perhaps to dried beans. But again, that was quite interesting to read about beans having a use in magic. It also goes on later to talk about coal, which I never thought of as being a magical thing. But obviously, there's a lot of coal in Cornwall, just as there is a lot of tin. So... Obviously, that's something that they're going to ascribe meaning and value to. And in that way, it's going to become magical. Whereas I feel like in a lot of ways, there are books about witchcraft which try and matter for everybody all over the world. And in that sense, they leave things like that out. On page 29, she talks about wish boxes, which I've sort of created. I think we've all created at some point or another, just kind of instinctively, just a box full of magical things to, to bring about a certain goal. Uh, so that was quite interesting to me, this kind of idea of the manifestation box. The next section is called Old Mother Red Cap. Um, there are three sections that make up the rest of the book. Old Mother Red Cap, Old Mother Green Cap and Old Mother Black Cap, I think, um, if I'm remembering correctly. And these deal with different kinds of magic. Red Cap is witchfire, power, protections and desire. So it's about like wish granting, witch power, that sort of thing. In these sections are various little subsections which deal with specific enchantments and ideas a lot of it's to do with wart charming but there's also um things to do with making witch bottles things to do with breaking witch's power a lot of the defense portion is concerned with being the target of black witchcraft uh, so there's like uh, letter squares for writing as charms different psalms to be said putting nails and things into animal hearts and hiding them in the chimney if you've ever visited the cornish witchcraft museum uh, in boscastle this will be sort of 
old ground for you you'll know about this things like using the call from a baby born with a call as a, a charm against like drowning at sea and all, all that sort of thing i had read previously either in that little pamphlet that i had or at the witchcraft of or at the museum of witchcraft so um it was quite interesting information and if you haven't been to that museum i would definitely recommend finding a copy of this book because it does give you a lot of the same information a lot of wart charming as well which is getting rid of warts by magic i don't know if wart also is just a term used for any kind of sore spot or skin ailment but it feels weird that there's so many concerned with just a wart was that like a, a more common worrisome thing in the past or, or was it just all skin ailments were referred to as warts as indicated by the title there is also a fair bit about toads i hate toads but um th there we go uh, and basically talk of how the toad and the witch are basically symbiotic in their relationship how it's sort of um not just a familiar but also a manifestation and very similar to the witch uh, a lot of ideas like that crop up towards the end of the book but various spells and rituals do call for a toad or parts of same uh, to, to be used the old mother green cap section is plant charms and cures so there's a little bit more about like herbal charms and plant charms in here as well as some healing uh, so for example a fortunate ash charm on page 82 the leaves of the ash may be plucked and formed into a pleasing bunch the gathered ends are to be bound tightly together in red to form a folate charm to be carried or hung in the home to attract love good fortune and health things like that a lot of the charms in this seem like something that no one would ever do because it seems like it's very time consuming and requires specific objects that you would not necessarily be able to get your hands on i would read half of a charm and be like oh this sounds cool i might do this and then it would be like take the foot of a mole that you discovered on the full moon in a churchyard at midnight on the grave of a thief and you're like mm, can i substitute rosemary for that we then get some sections on uh, plant charms for love for protection of animals like making wreaths of holly and things to put around the necks of cattle to protect them from being bewitched and then we get to old mother black cap which is owl blinking and turning and owl blinking or blasting is the term used for essentially cursing or hexing this is when we get into the uh, description of the the black or white practitioner and the term double ways practitioner is used uh, meaning like how you are viewed by other people uh, practicing in like different ways for different kinds of situations and different people this then covers like basically how you would hex people and it has a lot in common with the protection uh, spells because it's basically in most cases doing the same thing but with different intent so for example uh, footstep magic is like getting someone's footprint and using various things to work magic against that person but you can also use the same sort of things to work magic on an ill wishes footprint to reverse their ill wishing uh, so that was kind of interesting then there's some more psalms uh, and various curses including those to kill an enemy um to cause wasting illnesses and things like that what i found interesting was something on page 118 it says traditional magic being quite pragmatic in nature has never shied away from new advances as long as they are useful and an enhancement to efficacy thus with the advent of photography once it became wildly accessible to the populace a new weapon was added to the arsenal of image magic which again it must be remembered has always been employed for both good or for ill 
If a photograph of the Black Witch can be obtained, the victim of Malefica uh, might lift the evil influence from their home by writing the evildoer's name across their image at the hearth before casting it into a good fire. Uh, so what I like there is like the adaptation to new technology. I feel like in a lot of books uh, we get told that technology is bad, like not to bring phones, laptops or stereos in, in the old day of the stereo into a circle to play music, that electromagnetic waves uh, interfere with the like, atmosphere we're trying to create as witches. Um, and what I found about this was just, it was quite interesting, this kind of idea that a lot of this folk magic involving like moles, feet and bags covered in tar being hung over cauldrons and all the rest of it was using stuff that they just had and that they could make use of, like wax, tallow, things for making poppets out of. These were just things that were readily available and maybe not things that we have now, but if you look around you, there's probably a ton of other things that we have now that are readily available. So the idea that it's all about just using what works, using what you have, as opposed to having to either go out and get a bunch of specific shit in the terms of like ritual magic, or having to stockpile crystals and, and things like that as being somehow more spiritual and useful than just stones you find outside. Like, it was kind of refreshing to read uh, the idea that you can just use whatever's to hand and, and make the best out of it. And that you didn't have to go sneaking around your neighbour's house to try and take away one of their footprints when you could just Google their Facebook profile and, and take a picture from there. So... That was quite interesting, and I really liked that as well. Skipping back to page 72, I found the bit about coal. So I'm going to read that. It's from Pocket Charms for Good Fortune. Underneath, uh, talk about the sensual snail, which I'll leave you to just imagine. It says, it is quite understandable that the ancient and useful coal should be regarded as an amulet of good fortune, comfort and prosperity. This, I'm going to say chthonic, but I have no idea how you would say that word gift that fuels the fires of our progress and sustenance is to be kept in the coin purse as a charm for luck and prosperity or else it is also fortunate upon its finding to spit upon the specimen before throwing it over one's right shoulder again i found that was quite interesting like if you said in any witch forum like what represents prosperity the number one thing people would say is money probably or fake money like play money um or gold or pyrite, like fool's gold, because that's also, you know, sparkly and pretty. Or a magnet, and maybe even a natural, like, lodestone. But coal represents, like, in lo lots of places in the UK, in, like, the past, not just being able to, like, heat yourself at home and, and stay warm, but also being able to heat water to wash with, to cook with, to basically do everything. You needed coal even just to light your home in the days when maybe you didn't have your lamps or you'd run out of coins for your electric meter and the fire was all the light you had. Again, that would represent prosperity. And again, that kind of goes into what could you use nowadays to represent prosperity? Obviously, for a lot of people, it is money and things like that. But what is something that you can't do without as like a, a need that completely defines your life? Something that constantly needs to be paid for and is used up that's maybe therefore like more of a direct correspondent to need than just money so for a lot of people that might be like the fuel you put in your car and like receipts 
that you have for that or, or something similar or that costly season ticket that gets you on the train to your job every day or just like other things that we don't really think about and it was kind of coming out from a different perspective which I appreciated um and it just reminded me weirdly of being like four or five and having like mum go out and buy a bag of coal for our fire because we didn't have central heating in this like council flat that we lived in and it just it just reminded me of that and made me think like maybe I should start using coal because it is such a strong memory for me of just not having a huge amount of stuff and, and needing money in that way. On page 123 we get into circles of power and there's an interesting distinction drawn between the circle of the ceremonial magician and the circle of the traditional witch or wise woman practitioner and that is it says that the ceremonial magician their concerns are predominantly uh, protection and containment so you are being protected from outside forces or summoned forces or containing energy and i feel like that's the definition of the circle that is in most wiccan books in most witchcraft books but it goes on to talk about the folk magic circle as follows the diversity of ways in which the circle is employed within the west country which is art it could be said are all drawn to enable the witch to exert their total will over the object of the working encompassed from the completed circle there is no exit or escape and no entrance for the interference or pollution from external influences thus for the object so ensorcelled the interior of the encompassment becomes the totality of their environment from which all possibilities outside those of the total will of the witch have been cut off into non-existence and impossibility and the object is transfixed in the witch's eye so i found that quite interesting because instead of saying that the circle is containing power and protecting the witch it's talking about how within the circle you decide what is law it is your created reality the circle is completely beholden unto your will and that is where you work your magic on people because your will is the only thing there and nothing of the outside world can get to it and that was just an interesting idea and an interesting way to look at the circle which i'd not particularly um i'd not previously read in different books and was again kind of interesting and then from that point onwards the rest of the book kind of talks about the toad uh, and it's differing relationships and it's kind of representation in folk magic which i kind of wasn't that interested in um by that point so I'm not really going to talk about that one much, except it did talk about breastfeeding toads, which was weird. So in terms of forays into traditional witchcraft, it was quite interesting. There were definitely a lot of things in there that were more like historical and not really talking about like practicing today. Because to be honest, I think you'd be hard pressed to do quite a lot of these charms today because they involve weird things or weird timings that aren't very practical uh, for people um, so I don't really think that this is really a book about traditional witchcraft so much it is about traditions of witchcraft which is a, a weird distinction to make uh, but I am interested in reading like other books about traditional witchcraft other books maybe by uh, Gemma Gary if I come across them in my search ar around the net if anyone has like recommendations I would very happily take them so just drop those where you would normally contact me but I think it's quite an interesting book and definitely I would say a must read for people interested in 
the Museum of Witchcraft in Cornwall. If you've never been or if you absolutely love going and love all that like lore from the local area, this is going to be a great book for you. It also contains a few interesting and leading ideas which I'm definitely going to think about and try and incorporate into my practice. Um, it sort of covers new ground in a few ways, not in a great many. There's not like a huge amount of uh, stuff there that you could take out and, and practice for yourself, but it does create some interesting ideas and definitely has made me more interested in reading about traditional witchcraft. So if you're kind of on the fence about it, again, it might be a good book for you if you can find a reasonably priced copy. I don't know why they're also expensive on eBay because they seem to be quite reasonable on Amazon, loath as I am to buy something from Amazon. Funnily enough, this copy was actually from the Cornwall Library. I guess it was like an X copy. So, uh, sorry Cornwall, I have it now. But uh, if, if you come across a copy of any of her other books and you want to let me know about them, let me know how you feel about them, if you think they're worth reading, drop me a line. Do so on Twitter or on the comment section of the YouTube version of the podcast. Don't forget to go follow over on YouTube, by the way, because that's where all the videos are unboxings, how-to tutorial things, or just sharing like craft projects. So you'll have to go over there for that and just check out on YouTube. Make sure you follow and in the meantime I will see you in the next one. Bye!